0: All right, good to see everybody. Hope you, I was Barbara and I were kind of busy talking there for a moment. We, uh, yesterday, Dan and I, uh, we went out for a bike ride. We went over to the Sonoma Backroads Challenge, which we've done before, and uh, we, we went to do it yesterday. So it, it was very, very cold, very, very wet, and uh, by the way, rim brakes ba- do not work when they're wet. They just simply – so when you're riding – if you go down a steep hill, you just hope there's not a, a real, you know, sharp turn at the end of the hill. So, uh, but we, it was still it was a lot of fun. That the bad thing, uh, if you see me hobbling a little bit, my knees are feeling a little bit tender. Okay, a little bit tender. But uh, but Dan he scraped the cornea of his eye, and so he's gonna be fine. It's just gonna be uncomfortable for a couple of days. And uh, but. But I felt bad because I was the one who invited him on the ride. And I, I, I said afterwards, I said, well, if I invited you again, would you go? He said, no. <laughs> so I don't know if it's a company or everything else, but anyway. Uh, but uh, except for that, it was a good, good time. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, so we are in the middle of a series called Building Stronger Homes. And a lot of what we're looking at and a lot of what we're talking about is is Parenting. Different and different ones of us are in different places in our, our lives. Some of us are parents, some of us are grandparents, some of us are not parents, but one day will be. And I believe that everything we're talking about today is hugely important. Actually, th- today's message would not have to be about parenting at all. It could just simply be about you, and uh, because it's about something that's extremely important for you to understand about yourself, uh, and it's something that you need to internalize for yourself. And if you do not internalize this, the effect in your life uh, may not be entirely good, but for your kids, it could, be a, it could be a little bit difficult, just letting you know that, okay? So, um, and uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to be looking at two texts of Scripture. We're going to be looking briefly at 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17, but then we're going to roll over to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and the reason I wanted to look at both of these texts together is because we're talking about what it means to be in Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at. is talking about what it means to, to be in Christ. Um, I, want to, uh, I want to ask you a question. I to just kind of pres- first of all, hey, can I get that picture up here let me see this picture. Anybody know who this guy is? Nobody knows who he is. Nobody? Nobody recognizes him? Guess what? For 11 years, he didn't know who he was either. Yeah, in 2004, he was found stripped naked, completely naked, covered in blood, beaten, uh, passed out, uh, the, 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 behind a dumpster. The BK employee uh, went in, frantic, called the police. I watched a documentary on his life. It's a very interesting, short documentary on Vimeo, and uh, but he it just it was really fascinating is nobody knew who he was. Uh, he wakes up in a hospital. he doesn't know who he is he He just thinks his first name is Benjamin, and because he was there was already a John Doe in the in 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 the hospital, they called him b k Burger King, or uh, they gave him the name Benjamin Kyle, and that was his name. Uh, he woke up not knowing anything about himself except that he thought his first name was Benjamin with two a's and uh, he didn't know where he was from. Uh, he did not know how old he was. He did not know anything, anything from 2004 to 2015. Uh, in that time, he appeared on the, the show Dr. Phil. Uh, Dr. Phil hired a private investigator to go out and look and see if they could discover his identity. Uh, he also had a hypnotist uh, to hypnotize him to see if somehow they could call out some from him some kind of recognition about who he was, that didn't help. And, uh, and the FBI, they did fingerprint checks, they did facial recognition checks, they did the best DNA tests that they could do at that time, and nobody knew anything about him. His his picture was all over the internet, nobody professed knowing him. And he said what it felt like, is it felt like being unwanted. That nobody would have missed you. That nobody would have known who you were. It felt like being unwanted. Uh, It wasn't until 2015 that through some of the DNA research that's being done nowadays, data that's being accumulated from groups like uh, 23andMe and stuff like that, where they're putting together like family trees and stuff like that, they were finally able to track down who he was. But in that time, in that time, he had no social security number, none. Because the Social Security will not give you your identity, uh, your, your Social Security number, unless you have an ID. And you can't get an ID unless you have a Social Security number. They will not give you a second. So, uh, it, was, it was so funny. I was looking up this stuff. Not funny, but not for him. But it was interesting is that people were saying, well, how do we even know if he's an American or not? And, uh, and, and it was just, you know, if, if he was arrested for a crime, how would he be tried? He has no identity. Well, what do you do with all of that? And so for 11 years, he was really nobody, nobody. Now, what I want you to understand is today, and I want to make a, a connection and a parallel with you, if I can, is that that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. The Bible tells us about that enemy is Satan, okay? And uh, we have an enemy that wants to uh, distort and steal your identity from you. There are things that we look for our identity in. We can look for, well, one thing we can look for our identity in, so we can look for it in our work. Uh, We can look for it in our work. it's, It's interesting is that oftentimes we as men, when we are meeting another man for the first time, one of the things that we ask is, what do you do? Part of the reason why we ask that question is there's a natural curiosity about What does this other person do? But part of it is we have a tendency to look for, a lot of times, us as men, look for our identity in our work. Uh, A lot of times people, particularly, um, you know, sometimes uh, maybe a woman, she looks for her, her identity in her relationships. So a young high school girl feels like she has to have a boyfriend in order to have a sense of identity. They begin to look for their identity in their relationships. Sometimes people look for their identity in their body image. This is huge, huge. By the way, one in five women will at some point or another in their life struggle with an eating disorder. By eating disorder, I'm talking specifically about anorexia, anorexia. Uh, and uh, bulimia, and there are a couple other things that are related to that. One in five—not all the time—is extremely, um, extremely uh, challenging for that young woman. But it's not uncommon; it happens a lot. And almost every time when women—and by the way, more and more young men are struggling with bulimia, struggling with anorexia—and um, and what happens is is that people begin to look for their identity in how they look, in their appearance. And so a young woman, she sees the commercial on TV, a Victoria's Secret commercial, and she sees, Victoria's Secret tells her what she's supposed to look like. Victoria's Secret tells her what she's supposed to look like, and if you don't look like that, I guess you're not very attractive, are you? You know, what happens in our world has a very narrow understanding of what beauty is supposed to look like. And what happens is we begin to look for our identity in things like that. So we can look for it in our achievements. We can look for it in our relationships. We can look for it in our work. We can look for it uh, in all different in our education, in our race, our sexual identity, what we call gender identity today. We look for our identity in all kinds of things to tell us who we are. Now, the problem with this is depending upon where you're looking for your identity, it may steal away from you what's most important about you. Okay? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this. Therefore, from now on, uh, okay, sorry. Therefore means there's something that came before. All right? So we need to know what the therefore is there for. All right. I learned that from Howard Hendricks. What's the therefore there for? Understand when you're reading through Second Corinthians, part of the challenge that, uh, that that Paul is addressing is there were some false teachers. Now who these people were, we don't entirely know. There's about three different ideas about who they could have been, but we really don't know who they were. All we know is they didn't like Paul. All we know is that they were all about the appearance of things. They were about the appearance of things, and uh, what we also know is that they thought Paul was a religious fanatic. Okay, that's ba- you know they thought that that, um, uh, that that Paul was crazy about Christ, and I think there's a bad way to be crazy about Christ, and I think there's a good way to be crazy about Christ. They felt like he was crazy about Christ in a bad way, and so they were ridiculing Paul. They were uh, trying to, uh, to 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 basically created division between Paul and the Corinthians. Now, uh, Corinth was a church that was started by Paul. He worked there, worked with these people for about a year and a half. So finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we get to this, and Paul says this. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Or if you have an NIV Bible, I'm preaching from the New American Standard today. If you have an NIV Bible, I think it says um, in human terms or something like that, Okay. But he says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Christ came to us in the flesh, right? But not in a fleshly way. Um, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He, she, is a new creature. You're a new person. Uh, The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, real quick, I just want to just kind of make a couple of quick comments on this. There's a a fleshly and a worldly way of viewing Jesus. There is a fleshly, worldly way of looking at yourself. And there is a fleshly and worldly way of looking at other people around you. That's why Paul says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. We're not going to look at people through worldly terms. We're not going to base our judgments on people based upon the appearance of things. There's something more important than appearance. There's something more important than appearance. There's something more important about Jesus. There's something more important about you. There's something more important about the important people in your life than appearance. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. There is a fleshly, worldly way of viewing Jesus, ourselves, and others. And then there is a better way. You understand? There is a worldly way, and there is a better way of understanding Jesus, a better way of understanding ourselves, and a better way of understanding other people around us. I'll call it a biblical way, okay? Who you are in Christ is more important than who you were in Adam. Now, all of us were 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 human beings, I think. Pretty sure you're human, all right? I think you are. Okay? We're human beings. We're all descendants, according to the scriptures, of Adam and Eve. And being descendants of Adam and Eve, all of us have a problem. It's called sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We were born in sin. All right. I am a sinner. I am a sinner by uh, by nature, and I am a sinner uh, by uh, <laughs> by my own doing. All right. I am. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. By the way, you are too. If you don't think you are, let me talk to your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents, your brothers, your sisters. I'm pretty sure they will confirm that I'm right on this, all right? We don't even have to go to the Bible on that. We just know, okay? We just talk to the people who know you best. So, but who you are in Christ is more important than who you were in Adam. In Adam, you were a sinner under God's imminent judgment. In Christ, you are God's son, With a future and a hope. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. With a future and a hope. Okay? So who you are from a biblical point of view is more important than who you are from a worldly, fleshly point of view. Let's talk more about what it means to be in Christ. I went through this last week. I read through every place I could find in the New Testament where it talks about being in Christ or being in him. It is overwhelming. It is an overwhelming study. It is a really good study. You want to learn some fantastic, exciting things about yourself and who you are? Just go through and read every place where it talks about who you are in Jesus. Let me tell you, there's nothing that this world has to offer you that can compare with what Jesus does for you. There just isn't. Uh, We're not going to look at every text, so we're just going to look at Ephesians 1. 3 through 14, and I'm going to highlight a few things here because we can't unpack the whole thing. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul's writing to a church. This is a church, again, that was started by Paul. Ephesus was um, uh, is it what would be today, modern-day Turkey. Uh, he started a church there for three years. They met in a school. For nine years, we met in a school, so I know what that feels like. Uh, but they met in a school. I don't think they had a sound system, and I don't think they had to set up chairs, though, okay? Uh, but – but um but this was a church that he started. He spent about three years with these people, loved them very, very much, left Timothy there uh, to be their pastor. And, uh, and what Paul writes to them is he says this. He says, Blessed be, again, I'm reading from the New American Standard here. If you have your Bible, please keep, open your Bible to this and keep it open. Uh, but he says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, In the heavenly places in Christ. Circle those words in Christ. Pay attention to those words. And every time you see the words in Christ, in the beloved, or in him in this text, circle it. It's important that you understand something about who you are in Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. See, God chose you for a purpose. He didn't choose you because you're holy and blameless. He chose you chose you, and chose me when we weren't holy and blameless. But he chose us for the purpose of making us holy and making us blameless. See, holiness and blamelessness isn't my making. It's not your making. It's God's making. And God chose you for that purpose. Uh, In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, where? In the Beloved. Okay? In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him. In him. With a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him, in Christ also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. You with me in all this stuff? This is dense, okay? This is really dense material. If you're with me, I want to applaud you, all right? If you're not with me, I'll try to... Clarify a few things here in a moment. Where am I at? Okay, verse 13. Verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Uh, Why does Paul... Use the words in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, repeatedly. Uh, The answer to that is just simply that the apogee of all things resides in Christ. For the Christian, our identity is centered in who we are and all that we have been given in Christ. If you do not grasp this, you are just like Benjamin Kyle. You are living your life with an identity that really isn't an identity at all. The better we understand who we are in Christ, by the way, your children will learn who they are from you. Whatever you're looking to for your identity, whether you're looking for it in your work, whether you're looking for it in your relationships, whether you're looking for it in body image, whether you're looking for it in your accomplishments, whatever you're looking to and looking for to tell you that your life has value and meaning, whatever you're looking to, the, the ripple effect of that into your child's life and into your, the lives of your extended family is absolutely enormous. And so what we want is we want a better sense of who we are, in particular, who we are in Christ. Uh, 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 Six quick things here. I'm going to just race through this. Number one, in Christ, you have been given a multitude of spiritual blessings. Now, some of you are like, okay, big deal, all right? I mean, seriously. You read it and it's like, well, I want something that's for the here and now. Well, these spiritual blessings are, okay? In Christ, you have been given a multitude of spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing refers to every spiritual enrichment, endowment. It refers to everything you need as a Christian for the spiritual life. Uh, This blessing, these blessings, (laughs) uh, okay, think of it like this. Anybody ever cash a check at the bank? ever, you know, go in and you write a check for a dollar amount and it's based upon money, real money that you have in the bank. Okay. You give it to the teller. What does the teller do? Yeah. Well, usually she'll ask you for identity. (laughs) Where's your Social Security card? Ah, You you don't exist. No. You show up. You write the check. You get the money. Do you have to beg the teller? No, shouldn't have to. Do you have to control her, plead with her? Do you have to, you know, tell him, if you don't give me my money, I'm going to climb over this the countertop and, and take it out of you? I mean, you don't. It's yours. Now, imagine, imagine that somebody makes a huge deposit in your bank account. Okay? Imagine, uh, what's that guy's name, Jeff Bezos, whatever his name is, Amazon? I think he's the richest guy in the world now. But let's imagine that he places a, a really big, uh, you know, a large amount of money in your account, but you never write a check for it. And, and, and what I'm going to tell you is this, is a lot of people, they either they do not understand or they simply despise what is theirs in spiritual blessing. And so I talk about blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ. And if for you it's kind of like, okay, then if you're not careful, that might be saying that either that has no meaning for you or that you despise something that is of great value for you. And and what I'm going to suggest that you need to do is you need to think about this one a little bit. But in Christ you have everything you need, everything you could desire for the spiritual life. Are you with me on this? Number two. In Christ, we're talking about our identity. In Christ, you are by in your children, your loved ones will look to you to define for them what they should be looking to for their identity. Whether it's your activity, whatever it is. They're going to be looking to you. It's going to, what you look to will shape them. And what you look to will shape you. Number two, in Christ, you are chosen and you are holy and blameless. Okay, now some people, they get really out of been out, out of shape on this one. They don't like this idea of being chosen by God. What, what do you mean? Chosen. I chose him. Okay? He didn't choose me. By the way, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. But just, you know, that's Jesus, all right? Maybe you didn't quite get it right there. Okay? But, but what the Bible says, it says, that it, it says here, He, God, chose us in Him, in Christ, and He chose us for a very special purpose. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. The New Living Translation says it like this, Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. You were chosen, chosen for a purpose. Now, uh, now some people, they, they really struggle with this one. Well, now, I, you know, God choosing and stuff like that, and, and they really get really kind of upset about this one. This is how I want you to think about it. Anybody ever been in seventh grade before? Me too. Anybody ever been awkward before? Yeah, me too on steroids, okay? Yeah, as a seventh grader, I was very... Uh, very, you know, I was one of those late bloomers, and then I was one of the youngest kids in my class. So when we went to PE and we dressed out, I knew what we were going to do. We were going to play basketball. We were going to play basketball because Coach Evans loved basketball, and that's all that mattered. Okay, we were going to play coach. We were going to play uh, basketball, and so the great thing about it was I was not chosen last whenever Joe Bards was there. <laughs> We would choose the kids would choose up to I wasn't chosen last when when Joe Barnes was there. But if Joe wasn't there, guess who got chosen last? All right, I just wasn't a basketball player. Now, if we'd gotten on a bicycle, I I don't think any of them would have ever, you know. I I think I could outride all of them. All right, especially now, uh, but because they're old, you know, uh, I'm not. So uh, my kids are younger. Anyway, that makes me younger. It, you know, they're all grandfathers. I'm not. So, okay. So anyway, uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me talk to you about what it means to be chosen. See, every once in a while, what would happen is Coach Evans, he was like, I don't know, 6'11", you know, maybe 7'11". <laughs> I don't know. He was, you know, as a 12-year-old, he looked enormous. That's all I'm going to say, all right? He was this He was a really tall guy and he was a basketball player in college he was really good all right he was really really good every once in a while coach Evans would choose me and Joe to be on his team you know why he would choose us because he needed us to win (laughs) no that's not kidding he chose us not because he needed us to win but because we needed him to win do you understand what I'm saying here See, God has chosen you not because he needs you to win, but because you need him to win. And and what God wants you to win at is he wants you to win at being holy and blameless in him. Now, see, what the world is going to tell you, the message the world is going to give you is, you know what, you really don't measure up. You know what God's going to say? You are holy and blameless because I have chosen you for that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for me, for you, in Christ Jesus. He chose you to be holy and blameless. Number three. Number three. Number three. I need to watch my time. Number three, in love you have been made sons and daughters of God through Christ Verse 5 says, in, in, in love, he, God, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. What this means, God chose you for the purpose of making you sons and daughters. He did this through Jesus who died for us, who died for you. He did this because he wanted to do it, not because he had to do it. You understand that? God did it because he loved you, because you matter to him. When your children understand that they matter and that and they matter to God, and that begins to define who they are, see when your kids go to school, before they go to school, the message you're getting is, "Oh, you're so cute, you're so strong, you're so fast, you're so smart." And then they go to co- uh, go not to college, <laughs> they go to kindergarten. they go to kindergarten, all of a sudden there's a kid who's cuter, smarter, faster, stronger. Did I say smarter? Yeah, smarter. Whatever, okay? Uh, and, And so all of a sudden, they're not as so strong. They're not so fast. They're not so cute. They're not so smart. They're so average. And that begins to define who they are. Well, they need to know how deeply prized and valued they are by God. They will learn this from how you live your life as a prized and valued son or daughter of God. Number four, in Christ you have been redeemed and forgiven. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now, this redemption, that word is a word we, we don't really use a lot in our world today. So let's just let's talk about this for a moment. We don't really have a lot of slaves in Fairfield. Okay, we don't. Not in the old-fashioned terms. Okay, now there may be people who are enslaved to addiction are enslaved to compulsive sin, are enslaved to lots of other kinds of things, but we don't think of slavery in terms of the way the the Ephesians, when they were reading this from Paul, would think of. Because when they were reading it, the people sitting next to them, some of them, were actually slaves. They were slaves. Somebody owned them. And you were a slave until somebody redeemed you. Okay? And what... What Paul is saying here is, in Christ, you have been redeemed. Now, if I'm sitting here and I'm listening to one of the guys in my church read this for the first time, and I am reading that in Christ, I've been redeemed. And I'm no longer defined by my role as a slave under uh, the Roman, however they did things. And I'm now beginning to see myself as a redeemed child of God. That's huge, and we need to see that God redeems people. Whatever you're enslaved to, God can redeem you from it. Okay, He can do it. He, he it's remember that bank account. It's there. He's done it. And what we've got to do is learn how to live from that identity that we have been redeemed and our sins have been forgiven. Number five, in Christ you have been given an inheritance, having been predestined for his purpose. Okay? in, 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 in the end of verse 10 says, in him, in Christ, verse 11, in him, in Christ also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Anybody ever receive an inheritance before? Anybody? Raise your hands. Hi. Okay, a few of you. Okay? So I received one this last year. Uh, anybody ever received an inheritance from a cousin, a family member they didn't know they had? Anybody ever? I have. Okay? He was a billionaire. I'm a billionaire right now. Just kidding. All right? Let's imagine that Jeff Bezos is your cousin. Remember him? Amazon? And he dies. And he makes you the sole beneficiary of his fortune. Would that be exciting? Yeah. Get you that new guitar. Several of them, okay? I'd get a newer, nicer bike, all right? Uh, I, I would, I, you know, in, in, in Christ, you have been given an inheritance, having been predestined for his purpose. Now, here's the thing is, the inheritance we have in Christ far exceeds anything that we can imagine from an earthly perspective. We've got to get back to valuing what's valuable. It's It's what is ours in Christ, and it's what is ours forever. And when I say it's ours forever, I'm not saying it's ours once we die. I'm saying it's ours once we're born again. It belongs to you. You have been given an inheritance. Number six, in Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment. Now, some of you are saying, I knew there was a, you know, I don't know, there was a a trick to this or whatever. In Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a down payment, assuring you of your inheritance in Christ. There is a more fuller sense which you will possess this inheritance on the other side of eternity. But between now and then, you have a down payment. You have a pledge. You have an earnest. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like if you were a star athlete who comes out of the University of Arkansas, and uh, you're the next greatest. You're the next Mike Trout. Okay. Y'all know who Mike Trout is? Some of you. Four hundred and thirty million dollar contract uh, with the uh, Angels over the next ten years. I would work for that, all right? So uh, imagine that you are the next Mike Trout, okay? Or if you're a lady, Mickey Trout, okay? And so Michelle Trout. So you are the next, and uh, you are going to get this huge contract. But for signing, you're going to get a signing bonus. Millions. Well, we get a signing bonus worth more than millions. Because the signing bonus we get is God the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be in us, to assure us of all that is ours forever in Jesus. Now, folks, there are people telling your children who they are. Sometimes they tell your child that you are cute, and sometimes they tell your child you are ugly because that's what children do with other children. Sometimes they tell your child you are smart. Sometimes they tell your child you are dumb. Sometimes they tell your child you belong, or sometimes they tell your child you do not belong. On Monday, my heart was broken as I listened to a mother tell the story about her son. He died about 20 years ago. She was just broken-hearted. Stop, Joy and I, while we were walking, we started talking. She started talking about her son. And her son was, you know, it was the day after Mother's Day. That's why she was thinking about it. And she began to tell the story about her son was born with dwarfism. And she told about how other children would torment him because he wasn't like the other children. They were telling him who he was. They were telling him who he was. You're dumb. You you can't hear. You're dumb. You're short. You're ugly. They were telling him who he was. And this tormented him all the way up through his teen years. And when someone does that to your child, it's heartbreaking. And then as a teenager, I think he was about 16 years old, he was out on a skateboard and was hit by a car, thrown about 40 feet and killed him. Her heart is broken, not just because she lost her son, but because of the torment that her son went through with being told who he was. Now, your children may not go through the experience that Vaughn went through. They may not be told those kinds of mean things. But what I'm telling you is there are people telling your children who and what they are. And you have to give them something better than what the world is giving them. If you are a mom, if you are a dad, you've got to tell your children who they are and you have to give them. If you are a grandparent, you have to give your grandchildren a legacy and a sense of a blessing. They need to be blessed with your words and they need you. They need you to understand who you are in Jesus and to look for your identity in Jesus. And then they need your instruction And they need your encouragement to help them understand who they are in Jesus. Both we and our children need to look for our identity in Christ. In Christ, we are blessed with everything we need for the spiritual life. In Christ, we are chosen to be holy and blameless. In Christ, we are are made to be God's beloved sons and daughters. In Christ, we are redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, we have a sure inheritance that's greater than anything a rich uncle might give us. In Christ, we've been given the Holy Spirit as as a down payment of all that's to come and to assure us that we have been purchased by God and belong to God. Let's pray. God, you are great and you are awesome and you are good and you are faithful. And God, we are so grateful that when no one else would have chosen us to be on their team, you've chosen us to be on your team. Not because you need us, but because we need you. Thank you, God, for choosing us. Thank you, God, for redeeming us. Thank you, God, for forgiving us of our sin. Thank you, God, for blessing us with every spiritual blessing, everything we need for the spiritual life as Christians. God, thank you for um, just the assurance uh, that we have in Jesus Lord help us to better understand grapple with and look to you for our identity and Lord help us to teach and instruct and encourage our children our grandchildren, our loved ones our extended family, our friends others to look for their identity in Jesus and I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory Amen